Welcome back to the Crypto for Planners podcast, the most interesting CFP in the financial planning space. I am joined today by Gabriella Coots, the CEO of the Global Digital Asset and Cryptocurrency Association. She is one of the foremost um, experts in regulation and policy and is truly helping to advance the digital asset space in the U.S. and globally. So, Gabrielle, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, it was great to participate in the Crossroads Conference this past spring and, you know, really great to continue our cooperation and knowledge sharing with the podcast today. No, thank you so much. Um, just for some background, we did um, get to meet in person in Kansas City last year at the Crossroads Conference. And Gabriella was one of our most um, requested speaker um, to get more information from because uh, her presentation was incredible. And again, she is just in the middle of all the action. And so um, I can thank you so much for taking the time um, just by way of kind of setting the stage for, for where we are uh, on a very high level um, kind of view globally, um, just kind of where or walk us through or kind of get maybe advisors who are new to thinking about this up to speed with where regulation sort of stands, um, you know, predominantly in Europe and in the U.S. Is, is mostly where our listeners are, but just okay. maybe give us some background and, or, or kind of set the stage for where you feel the, the global regulatory scene is with digital assets. Sure. Um, so kind of just to get started, um, you know, globally, I think everybody's at the same point all over the world, um, which is that Originally about, you know, I'd say if we dial things back about two years ago, this was when it really started to get onto the scene, I think, more dynamically um, with different governments looking at digital assets and not just seeing them um, as sort of a, a passing phase, but really something that had longevity. And, you know, along this lines, what you saw was as a first step, a lot of governments looking at trying to shoehorn in um, digital assets and cryptocurrency into sort of the broader um, existing legal and regulatory frameworks. And that's not necessarily a bad first step because legislative and regulatory um, amendments, whether it's going through a Congress or a parliament, um, it takes time. Yeah. And so, you know, in the first instance, people really tried to kind of see what they could use first before building something new. Um, however, I think it was very quickly understood that you're dealing with something ultimately that is very unique in nature. And so the existing legislation and regulations most likely aren't going to be a one-to-one -one fit. And so that's where you started to see all over the world, all at the same time, regulators, legislators, parliamentarians coming together and starting to reflect and consider how they would design forthcoming regulations and legislation in order to best support sort of two goals. One being consumer and investor protection, and the other really focusing on, you know, um, engendering development of technology and innovation in the financial markets. And so these two dual goals have been at the forefront of pretty much every country's conversation. How are you going to balance the need for um, development in the digital asset space, attracting economic growth, job creation, um, with some of the needs for protection of consumers and investors, okay? And so, um, you know, again, globally, 
everybody's a little bit, some are further ahead than others, but generally speaking, we're all still sort of in this period of um, uncertainty and complexity and trying to understand how we'll navigate this effectively so that you do bring those benefits of economic mm -hmm. growth, but you also protect people. Yeah, um, and I, I, I would, I would, I love that that that's a, a major focus of um, what the the global DCA is is focused on is is the consumer protection piece because oftentimes, you know, if, if you're an advisor and you're new to the space and you're looking around going like, wow, this seems like it's the wild wild west. It seems like there's just so many bad actors and bad players. Like, how is this ever really going to, um, you know, see mainstream adoption? And that's where I believe that advisors who have fiduciary um, standards in their DNA, that when they approach every client relationship they have, it's with a fiduciary lens. They, we can bring those same kinds of standards to saying this, this is for consumer protection. This is how we can make sure that disclosures are being made, um, you know, on so many of these different crypto projects and the, uh, you know, the, the founders have all these other things going on and we just don't even know about it right now because it's so unregulated that there is so much improvement that consumer protection can, can bring to, you know, again, the, the advisor is sort of uh, what I would call their, their average client, right? Where they're helping young people save, they're helping young people plan and digital assets can be a major piece of that puzzle but we definitely need to bring those fiduciary standards to the, the crypto space. So I, again, sorry, as you said that, that's one of the focuses that I think the Planner DAO really has. And as we are, are moving forward with fiduciary um, you know, values and ideas to this brand new space, I think it's really an opportunity for um, advisors to, to put a flag and say, hey, we're, we're actually gonna move past our sales culture. We're gonna move past a lot of you know, the, I guess the the industry, uh, <laughs> you know, used car salesman uh, history that we you know, we may or may not have, may or may not be proud of, um, and say this is a new opportunity for uh, those fiduciary practices to just be the norm and, and and not have anything else. Yeah, and not to go too far off topic, but I think you know you've hit on a very important piece of this, which is the fiduciary responsibility. So I can give you some insight into the fact that at the um, yeah. Global Digital Asset and Cryptocurrency Association, we've actually just launched our fiduciary duty working group in large part based on some of what we've recently seen over the past few weeks um, with regards to practices, um, both around risk management, but also just general fiduciary. Um, and so, you know, in this respect, I think you've hit very heavily on an important piece of this, which is, you know, I think as all professionals, regardless as to whether you're supporting financial planning, um, you're an accountant, you're a lawyer, you're an insurance professional, you, know, you have a duty of care and responsibility when you're giving advice or support to clients and customers. And so mm -hmm. I think, you know, some of the amazing work that's done um, through Planner DAO um, is really just to bring that forward, to ensure that people have the skills, the competence, is the knowledge to effectively undertake that duty of care and professional responsibility and be able to step forward effectively. Because as the first line of defense, if we're looking at consumer protection, it's that the advice that is being given to consumers and those in the marketplace, that it is sound and that it can be relied upon in terms of making informed investment decisions. So I think you've very you know, correctly hinted. And again, I know I'm taking us a little bit off topic, but no, I think it's very relevant and timely. So I hope it, it maybe helps contribute to some of the ongoing discussion today. 
No, that's that's awesome. And no, I, I did not. Uh, you did not read my show notes, and and I did not know um, that you had just done that. But that's again, I think um, I think it's just a very timely thing. Um, so may, maybe without going too crazy down the rabbit hole, but I, I would love to know how um, how can either advisors learn more about that uh, that working group, or maybe stay informed with. Uh, just sort of the, the the information that's coming from that, because knowing me, I will totally forget and move on. And that's, again, that's just, that's one of the passions that I think unites the planner Dow community. And so I, before I, I, I forget completely and move on, um, yeah, no. how, how can they, how can they uh, get connected to that? Sure. So you can send an email to info at global dash DCA.org with the subject line fiduciary working group, and we'll get you connected if you want to participate. Um, in terms of just following along, I would encourage you to go to our website, global dash DCA.org and sign up for our newsletter. Um, we provide weekly or bi-weekly updates on a lot of the goings on um, within our community. And we also, you know, very regularly announce um, public events, activities that are for anybody who'd like to participate, um, just in terms of our commitment to the public interest and knowledge and learning sharing. So well, that's that's awesome. And we'll make sure to include that in the show notes because again, that's that's where I believe that the the strength of the community needs to, to be a little bit more active and a little bit more vocal. And um, you know, you're your organization is, is just an incredible mouthpiece that's in the middle of all these things so that, um, again, fiduciary advisors can, can be heard. Um, so we, we kind of talked about this, this global um, scene where we're all kind of seeing the, these countries be in, in a similar position. They're all sort of uh, moving past this shoehorn to something maybe more specific. Um, mm -hmm. Well, since the majority of our audience is U.S. centric, um, what would you say? Since, because since we we last spoke, you know, we had an executive order. We have a major piece of legislation supported by you know two major senators um, and two really key uh, positions in you know various banking and, and financial regulations. So um, maybe talk more specifically about the U.S. and where kind of we are, and, and, and maybe some of the major things that are being sort of in process um, from a regulatory perspective. Sure. So um, when we're looking at the United States, I think there's a few pieces that you've correctly kind of identified out. Um, one is the president's executive order, um, which has you know laid out a number of different research reports that should be undertaken over the course of the next year or so. Um, within that, um, there is a recent report that's just been issued by the U.S. Treasury. We will be responding to that and their request for comments. Um, this lays out, you know, a number of different points on, you know, how to address or to regulate digital assets. Um, so this is a piece that, you know, I think for the Planner DAO community, if you're interested in, you know, participating in some of the feedback on this, um, again, feel free to email the info at global-dca.org and just put U.S. Treasury response, and we'll loop you into some of the work that we're doing on that piece. Um, we also have two pieces of legislation that have come forward recently. Um, before um, the, you know, Lummis-Gillibrand bill, there was the Digital Commodities Exchange Act that came out of the House Agriculture Committee that was bipartisan, um, and that moved forward the um, taxonomy around digital assets. It looked at a number of different issues related to how to regulate, including creating a pathway for the development of a self-regulatory organization um, in the digital asset space. And it's um, 
around this last piece that at the global DCA, positioning as a self-regulatory, first as a self-regulatory A association. So that means from a voluntary point, we're already kind of building out mechanisms, working to ensure that we onboard you know, our firms so that we are kind of getting everybody in the feel of compliance. Um, and self-regulation, but moving towards, you know, a legal mandates in order to be able to fill that gap and to partner with government regulators in order to create a high degree of regulatory coverage for the country. Um, so that piece, you know, was very important that that was carved out in the DCEA. Um, the next piece that you mentioned is, of course, the Lummis Gillibrand bill. Um, this also worked, I would say, as a really important marker piece of legislation, identifying out key issues that currently are unresolved and will likely need to be addressed in order to move forward constructively. Um, this is both from a standpoint of, you know, allowing for there to be innovation. So, a lot of us who are in the audience, you're small businesses, you know how it is when there's not legal clarity. This no. is expensive lawyer fees. This is, um, I always joke with people, chewing tums at night, <laughs> worrying, <laughs> wringing your hands, like hoping that things will be clarified so that you have the comfort and confidence of knowing that what you're building, especially for small businesses, um, you know, that it's protected and that you'll be able to continue to grow and develop and realize, you know, whether you're in the U.S. or Europe, the, the dream of owning and operating a small business that grows constructively into, um, you know, something that has that strong economic footprint. Um, and so, you know, from that standpoint, I think, you know, when we look at the, you know, the Lummis Gillibrand bill, this lays out a lot of the key pieces that we know are missing. Mm -hmm. I think when we see it, we look at it, or at least from our side, we see it more as like a marker bill. So there are pieces of this that will likely now be broken up into different pieces of legislation that will likely move. Um, and hopefully within the U.S., help us to get to a point where, you know, you can stop buying stock in the Tums company. You can, <laughs> you know, rest, sleep at night a little bit easier knowing that, you know, what you're building in this space, um, you have that um, strong rule of law and that strong legal and regulatory mm -hmm. clarity. So I think that that's another piece of that. Um, the other piece that the Lummis Gillibrand bill, again, what we've seen successively over the past few, I'd say, months is that originally when the global DCA started engaging in advocacy, you know, about a year ago, um, the concept of SROs and self-regulation was still very, um, there was some skepticism, there was a lot of questions around it. Now, more and more, um, we aren't even pushing for um, you know, self-regulation to be included in the bills. We're being pulled into conversations where there's an active interest for this to be developed and designed. And so that's been a really important shift that I think the listeners um, should be aware of. Um, but this is a really crucial piece in trying to move this forward. You know, in the course of the past year, we know that there's been about 50 different pieces of legislation that have come forward, touching on all different aspects of digital assets. I think that, you know, we'll continue to see that. But if I'm looking at broad trends in regards to U.S. Um, legislation and regulation, it started out here and like a funnel, we're starting to come down and see more and more the legislative um, pieces that are moving are starting to become more similar in nature. And they're talking about a lot of the same components in a lot of the same ways. So I think that, you know, if you look at it as the evolution of the legislative process here in the United States around um, building and defining out the legal and regulatory framework for digital assets, 
you'll find that again, you start far apart and you're starting to narrow towards like a common moderated center. And that's really what you'd like to see in any jurisdiction. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think we're coming along very nicely, honestly. Um, so like that's it. US and we can break there if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, you You um, you, you gave so much um, positive feedback. Um, my, my mind goes first to, this, this is such a new phenomenon for most advisors to even like be a part of and witness. You know, if you, you think about that, there's not been many industries that you have basically been able to witness the, the genesis of the maturation of as it moves along from zero to, you know, something substantial. And so um, I think it's helpful to have your perspective because, you know, Oftentimes you're on crypto Twitter and you're you're reading all this, you know, negative feedback about how slow it is and about how, you know, there's so many gaps and this and that. And really what you're describing is that there there is a, a very positive process that is happening as this you, you get a marker um, kind of legislation that 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 starts this process. And and you know, oftentimes when you you don't even know and you've not really had another thing to to compare this process to. Um, you know, you can you can get the the I guess more frustrated or more um, you see see the gaps and focus on that as opposed to watching how this process plays out. Seeing like you're describing it, it starts a little bit more broadly and then becomes more and more specific as the the key areas get addressed by um, you know, whether it's a committee or or you know these different groups. So I number one, I think it's it's really helpful to hear you know from someone who's lived this that those processes are in play. They are. They're they've started and and progress is being made um, and like you said we're, we're actually moving to a you know what I, I guess like a moderate middle is that a fair way way to say it where it's we're, we're not seeing extremes in in the, the the view of what digital assets should should be um, and then sorry go ahead I'll let you no 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 I was just gonna say you know you're still gonna hear extremes on either side I think though you know remember. Um, like a few things. My background, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, I had done economic and financial sector transformations, like a lot of the Eastern European countries transitioning away from like communist systems towards capital markets. And then the Middle East, really like economic diversification, raising up global centers of excellence um, for financial reporting, for um, capital markets. So I guess everybody sees things their, through their own lens. And mine has always yeah. been extremely macro. So if you're looking just at like what's happening on a day-to-day, -day, it seems very volatile, right? Like mm -hmm. the uncertainty is just everywhere. You hear this person say that and another person say another thing. You have to zoom out and see what's actually happening in terms of the transformation. And so, you know, if you are following it from a broader view, I think it's actually moving along. Again, I'm comparing it, I think, more appropriately instead of apples to oranges, apples to apples. So economic yeah. transformations and financial sector transformations, those are decades in the making. It's not something that happens overnight. And the legislative or um, the parliamentary pieces of this, these um, take first and foremost, a lot of education, okay? Which is why the Global DCA, you know, works very closely with Planner Dow and supports a lot of your work. People need to be educated and understanding. Then they can build systems. Then you can have some level of oversight, inspection, or regulation on this space. But that same level of education building 
that has to also happen within our um, legislative as well as regulatory bodies because we're not adversarial in this space. We all work together as part of a broader economy. And so in that entity, like the legislature's state as well as federal, um, the regulator's state as well as federal, everybody's coming along all at the same time, some more ahead than others. But I think that frustration that people may feel understand that it is something that is being worked on and it's going to be a process. And so like I always tell people take a deep breath, <laughs> like it will get there. It's just going to take a little bit of time. But to be fair, this is a very expedited process of any of the ones that I've seen without very heavy intervention um, in order to like move things more rapidly. So yeah. I mean, I actually think we're really nicely on track. It's just that it's going to take some time. That's all. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's helpful to, to have that perspective. Because like I said, I don't think advisors have anything really to, to go and say, hey, I've, I've been a part of this, you know, new technology yeah. that was, you know, completely uh, revolutionary. And, and we saw how this played out. Like we, we just, we, I honestly, I don't think we have good context. So I, I appreciate that. And it's funny as you're describing it, it's, this is exactly what advisors do with clients, right? Like we we have to start off with this, you know, sort of baseline education and then it's a process and it's like watching a tree grow, you know? I mean, if yeah, you're watching exactly. it, if you're watching it every day, it looks like nothing is happening and it looks like there what on earth is, you know, like you you put all this time and energy and you think you're doing the right things and this tree just isn't growing if you watch it every single day. But if you zoom out, you can clearly see over time that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's growing. There's, there's shade trees being planted right now for, you know, others to enjoy. So um, I, I think that's, that's a really helpful uh, context to, to maintain through this process. Um, so that's kind of the, the background and kind of getting caught up. Um, so where where do you think um, sort of the focus is going to be for maybe the, the rest of the year or, um, you know, just sort of the, the next thing? Um, you know, there, there's been some focus on stable coins. Uh, mm -hmm. I know the SEC has a lot of cases that are going on that are active that might have implications. Um, just, just from your perspective, what, what do you think is sort of the, the next in this line of, of maybe um, information that, that's gonna come out that's gonna impact an advisor and their ability to connect with these digital assets? Sure. So I think you've correctly flagged stable coins. I would encourage your advisors to take a look at our stable coin paper. Um, this has been circulated both within, it's called Beyond Terra, an assessment um, of the current market conditions and policy recommendations for um, legislators and regulators. So here is where we've laid out, um, you know, like a deep dive assessment into um, the issues around Terra Luna. Terra Luna was a, and we'll just say an algorithmic stablecoin, um, because I think now there's been a lot more understanding about how and in what way to best use that term stablecoin um, when we refer to different products um, that, you know, had become depegged, so to speak. Um, there had been some underlying design challenges that had caused a rapid devaluation. Um, and this had, you know, caused some additional tremors, I think, within the crypto market, which we're still kind of, I believe, seeing yeah. today. Um, you know, this goes into some of the key pieces that we believe are crucial to ensuring that the stablecoin um, component, as well as the broader digital ecosystem remains safe. 
you can take a look at it both to educate yourself about the concepts of stable coins, um, as well as to kind of drill down into maybe even what you yourself could be looking at if you are looking to advise clients in this space on mm -hmm. what would be some like red flags or some components that they should be aware of, which may provide additional safeguards in which they should be looking at in terms of criteria when making some of these investment decisions. Um, so I would say take a look at that paper. It can be found on our website under the um, public policy tab. Um, and if you scroll down, there should be a link to that paper there. Um, so again, stable coins are going to be a piece that we'll see move just due to some of the visibility around this. Um, the next piece is that, you know, you've mentioned, I believe, um, and we're preparing for it internally as well, is just around some of the fiduciary um, duty. So uh, looking at some of the underlying issues that contributed to some of the ongoing challenges in the crypto market that we see, um, one of those that we flagged very heavily is risk management, but also some of the broader um, under the umbrella of fiduciary responsibility. And so this is, again, something that we believe will come up time and time again, both through questioning when we do our advocacy on the Hill, but also most likely there will be some elements of this that we will likely see um, forthcoming in different pieces of legislation in one form or another. Mm -hmm. um, I think you're also going to see, again, um, a piece of legislation moving in the U.S. Senate, um, their Agriculture Committee around, again, trying to define out taxonomy, trying to create some level of clarity, and again, um, trying to understand the nature and direction of um, regulation for the space. So I think that that's another piece that you should be mindful of and looking towards. Um, but that's what we see kind of coming down the pipeline. I think you will also likely see more pieces around self-regulation. Um, you know, from my side, I've worked in like 50 different countries to support self-regulation. Um, it is a process, um, dual education and awareness building process, both internally within industry, but then also amongst and between um, regulators and legislators. And so, you know, we're seeing, I think, a lot of recognition, not as a group that is just pro self-regulation, but is mm -hmm. pro pragmatism in terms of what yeah. can actually work. Because if your fundamental objectives are those two mandates, consumer protection and then um, economic growth and development, then you understand that there needs to be something that kind of puzzle piece fits alongside, you know, your formal government regulators in order to ensure that you have sufficient regulatory coverage and that you're actually able to fulfill those dual mandates. And so that's been, I think, a piece that you're also going to see increasingly as more people, I believe, become more understanding around what modern self-regulation looks like. That this could be part of the solution of how to engage in this space and allow and foment some of those two positive benefits that we're looking to derive. Oh, that's that's really helpful. Um, and again, it goes to that there is a lot on on your plate that you're you're you're, oh, yeah. you're seeing and being you know participating in. And uh, I mean, it's 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 pretty fascinating. And, and maybe goes back to our original point of this is actually moving faster than. Uh, you know, maybe advisors and the, the crypto community realize that this progress is, is, is really growing. So maybe it's more like watching weeds grow as opposed to watching oak tree grow because, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of rapid movement. Um, and, and so as you were talking, my mind almost went to help, help, the, help the average advisor understand the benefits of a self-regulating entity's involvement in this. Like what, you know, 
from, from our perspective, it's usually, you know, you're, you're dealing with, you know, some sort of, you know, um, you know, SEC level, like what help, help us understand that the benefits of having that, that SRO involved in this process, what, what does that mean for an advisor out there? Who's, you know, maybe even regulated at the state level and what the implications are for them when you have that, that entity involved. Sure. So um, I think, at the like at the lowest end, it's about being sort of a convening force, okay? Mm-hmm. So because you're um, you're not quite public sector, not quite private sector, you kind of sit in the what I like to call the in between, right? You're a trusted broker, and you're bringing people together, both from the formal regulatory side, law enforcement, from private sector, from civil society organizations, or we can call these like general trade um, and association groups. Um, and really trying to bring everybody around the table to understand and get a clear view about how this space and industry is evolving, okay? From our side, we believe that because this is an inherently global um, asset class and transformation, that having a strong global view is really important to strategically positioning both ourselves as well as any of our members and our key counterparts, whether those are in public or private sector. And we work to ensure that we have open and honest lines of communication, even at this point, around what we're seeing so that everybody's on the same page and is understanding about the dynamism that is surrounding some of the development of the digital asset ecosystem globally. Um, When it comes to, um, again, you've said like the benefits around this. I think so the first part is instead of there being um, a lot of, I think, miscommunication, misinformation, disinformation about what is and what isn't true around the digital asset space, This can be kind of that force that draws people together and helps to create a moderated narrative around what is happening, okay? Gets everyone on the same page. And then from there, you can kind of take the next step, which is, you know, helping to provide data, research, information, and input into informed policy decision-making so that any of the laws or regulations that are coming forward um, have at their core um, an honest reflection of the underlying health you know, emerging issues and trajectory of the industry. And so that would hopefully trickle down to your members in terms of the legal and regulatory um, framework evolution that they're going to see, okay? Mm-hmm. I think the next piece of this is that regardless um, of what happens in like the formal government and regulatory structure with a self-regulatory mechanism that again, puzzle piece fits in and complements a lot of what you're seeing, um, the benefit would be that <clears throat> as there are emerging issues, that SRO kind of stays just ahead of where things are going in terms of, I use my hands a lot, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, there's like two lines, I don't know if you're following. So like, this is where the SRO would be in terms of like watching emerging issues, beginning to like lay the foundation ahead of where industry and your advisors may be in terms of you know getting requests from their customers and clients, needing clarity about what a product is or isn't, and an understanding about you know the legality around it, um, whether it's appropriate from a risk management perspective um, to advise their client to engage in this space, so on and so forth. Um, so that like self-regulatory component allows you to, in many cases, just stay slightly ahead of where the market is. And that allows there not to be this like herky-jerky, like start and stop, which is what you have right now, 
when the only avenue for resolution is through a formal like legislative or government regulator. Because um, that's not exactly how they're set up um, to be sort of like front running or, you know, foreseeing and then moving nimbly and flexibly ahead in order to lay that foundation so that your firms and your businesses and your clients can engage in this space safely, um, constructively, and I think, you know, ultimately um, more effectively. And so that's where the SRO component in most economies, regardless of industry, okay? So SROs can exist, we have them. The ones that I built were in financial reporting, accounting and auditing, right? Um, so it's kind of like the same concept here is that, mm -hmm. you know, again, complementary, allowing for that flexibility, the nimbleness, and really the forward thinking so that you're being proactive about something instead of reactionary. Because yeah. that's reactionary is what a government regulator typically is in the position of. Um, and that's the difference between self-regulation and regulation, but also you know, the benefits and the beauty of the two of them working together. Yeah, no, you, you the, the last word you used was exactly what was in my mind is that, you know, the, the proaction, the, the proactivity of being able to be a little bit more, um, you know, strategic and foresight and seeing how things are happening and um, being that puzzle piece that can help them, you know, these regulatory uh, legislative, uh, you know, entities figure things out before it's all of a sudden now it's already happened. Oh, great you know, Terra Luna blew up. Now I guess we should talk about stable coins. You know, that's, that's kind of yeah. where we are. And so that's really the, you know, that proactive uh, piece of that, that puzzle, um, I think is really helpful for, you know, again, a, a smaller advisor firm to be like, oh, oh great. I might've lost you there, Gabby, just for a second. I'm sorry. Um, so anyways, uh, get you out on the, the, the last question. Um, you know, we, we're, we're seeing more uh, larger RA firms um, that have chief compliance officers. And, you know, they're, we, we've gone from seeing these small firms with like one or two people, you know, getting um, really excited about digital assets and, and moving forward. And, and let's be honest, when there's like, you know, like I was a, a single person RA firm, I am my own chief compliance officer, I am my own chief investment officer. And I, you know, simply go, yeah, I want to do this, and I'm going to figure it out and, and move forward. But as we see these larger firms starting to, to come into play where there's 20 people in the firm and maybe there's one or two that are really active um, in digital assets, the chief compliance officer is now coming to us and saying, hey, what, what do I need to do to, to get more comfortable with this? You know, wh where are places that I can go or resources or, or, or just um, help that chief compliance officer out and, and point maybe in some directions about like, hey, here's how you can maybe get started or or this is where you should to you know maybe think first or, or go review this or, or um, help help out that firm that is uh, like I said a little bit larger and needs more infrastructure and needs more due diligence than just simply again a small more aggressive risk taker that that just you know was the early adopters in the space. Sure. So if you're looking for um, different resources, I could say, you know, please visit our website. Um, we have a number of different resources available that are publicly available. Um, we have just released our AML guidance um, that will be rolled out shortly publicly. Um, this can be one key piece that can help you kind of navigate this space. It's specifically designed um, for those who are engaging in the digital asset area. Um, you know, I would also say that 
if this is something that your firm is engaging in increasingly, um, you can always look at and click on the button um, to become a member of the Global DCA. Um, you know, we accept firms of all sizes, small, medium, and large. And our focus is really on just that, kind of like bringing you into some of this broader discussion around um, standards and guidance that you may need, designing those to support you and your firm, um, you know, working with you all on education and certification, um, supporting, you know, knowledge and learning events um, and really trying to raise everybody up together. And then I think, you know, ultimately, depending on your size and your interest and your engagement, um, making sure that we are representing all voices as part of our advocacy. Um, again, we do globally sensitive engagement, meaning that we position more as a center of excellence that provides input, policy, perspective to some of the legislative decision making here in the U.S., and then also works with MOU partner um, associations around the world on the subject of digital assets and self-regulation. Um, so, you know, if these are pieces that are valuable to your firm, I would strongly encourage you to reach out um, to make use of those resources that are publicly available on our website. And then, of course, to sign up for our newsletter, because that's where we'll have, you know, a listing of most of our events, of our activities that are coming up, and of uh, the different, like, policy positions that we'll be releasing. So, thank you. Well, that's, no, that's, that's, that's so helpful. And, um, you know, as the space evolves, it, it, it is happening, um, you know, rapidly. So having the ability to, to receive those updates has been really, really helpful for me personally. And um, yeah, I, I can't thank you enough, Gabby, for your time and for your insight. Uh, it's, it's not often that you can have um, someone with your background in, in these global issues. And guess what? You're, you're fighting for us, you know, us little guys here and, and bringing those standards and those you know, best practices to this brand new space. And so I, I can't thank you enough for the work that the, the Global DCA is doing and um, hope we can encourage a lot of people to start participating and to become more involved because that's really where the rubber hits the road, where you get more engagement with advisors who are uh, you know, sort of the boots on the ground in the trenches with clients um, that can only help, you know, I guess, articulate the, the different pain points or the different issues that they're seeing. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That's it for the Crypto for Planners podcast, the most interesting CFP in the world. Stay crypto, my friends.